Hello and welcome to this pop-up submission special dedicated to young adult books. YA is an age category, not a genre. Most publishers would say that YA readers lie between the ages of 12 to 18 years, clearly a vastly <coughs> divergent demographic. There are countless sub-genres within the YA sector, and as an author, you really need to understand your precise readership, or else you simply won't connect with them. And readers can be very fickle. Today's best-selling paranormal romances will probably be tomorrow's pulp fiction. Protagonists of YA fiction tend to be about two years older than the reader's age. Most YA fiction is actually bought by adults for children, which is another factor to think about when pitching your next big idea. Publishing is a casino industry, nowhere more so than in the YA area, where taking a risk on a long shot can sometimes hit the jackpot. And that's what we're looking for tonight, tomorrow's next big YA manuscript. And maybe, just maybe, it could be yours. Yeah, here to help me judge today's submissions are crime writing duo Bob and Carol Bridgestock. You may have seen their work filmed on CBS. Now you've got them live on Pop-Ups. And together with Andy Dickinson, you've seen him reporting the news. Now you can hear his views. That's a very exciting show today because it's the last one of the month. And that means we'll have a monthly winner within the next six minutes, leading a very tightly compact uh, pack. Currently is Jane Langan's You, It and Everything Good, a 1980s coming-of-age story that explores BDSM, fetishism and Gen E. Well, it's going to be a classic show today if I can remember which buttons to push. So stick around. When you join our weekly huddle, certain things happen. No, not that. Bring your writing, your book titles, your blurbs, anything really, for expert and sympathetic input. In confidence. Other websites charge a fortune for this kind of thing. In Latopia, the oldest community for writers on the net is included in your modest subscription. Latopia, we're here for you. Oh, yes, we are. And let's go straight into our first submission. Today. Submission number one, number one is from Cole. Cole Pettifor. There's a QR code there, so please do scan it and go to Cole's website. And it's called Undersong. And this is Cole's blurb. The Clifftop people have always numbered 100. When one dies, another is born. That very same instant. This exchange of life for life holds them in perfect balance with nature. However, when a boy named Ur is born and nobody dies, nature turns on the people with sudden violence. Clouds vanish, as do the wind and waves. The sun's heat bakes the land. As he grows up, the people blame the boy and eventually force him out into the wild, where the needs of survival teach him who he truly is. Let me tell you about Cole. Cole says, I'm the father, a father, living in the rocky southeastern corner of British Columbia. It sounds fabulous, actually, especially at the moment. Um, as a teacher of early adolescent children, I'm in tune with the YA genre and its readers. My fiction has been featured in several presses, including Paragon, Emerge, and Steel Chisel, and now, of course, pop-ups with a, a fabulous reading, I have to say, from Johnny. Undersong by Cole Pettifer, read by John. Chapter 1 
Upon a high cliff on a stone coast, the people lived, unchanged since time's beginning. Their five long, low shelters were skimmed in bark. The roofs leaned and sagged in the middles, showing the centuries. In the middle of these, a wide fire pit glowed faintly. White ash danced and lighted into the cooling air of evening. Fish bones lay around the pit. Through these, coon dogs rooted, testing them for any remaining shreds of meat. In the windows of the shelters, candlelit faces smiled and wished each other good sleep. They set their heads into the pillows and closed their eyes, and they dreamed about themselves, for there were no other people in all the world. Chapter 2 In the morning they rose to yet another perfect day. There was the sun, reaching through the cedars that grew tall upon the slope rising from the village. The sky was blue, the sea happily came in, line after line after line of straight white waves. Over the village of the people, a jagged wall of snowy peaks hung. This was one border of their world, the sea was the other. In this narrow corridor the people wanted for nothing. They ate what fish they could catch from the shore, and fed the bones to the forest and the beings therein, and the gulls circled overhead. When the fish went from the waters, the people pulled the spears from the rafters and hunted bush pig and rabbit and deer. They dug roots and peeled white fern stem. They drank from a spring that never sped or slowed. Their sun-worn skin was untarnished copper. They were tall and long throughout, with hands that spanned wide enough to grip and hold the cedar trees as they climbed. Upon the utter tops of the swaying giants, they clung and watched the wild, endless in all directions. They were better than no other species belonging to that place. They were beasts among beasts. When a lion took a child away in its jaws, the people did not gather to hunt that lion. There was no malice to what it had done. It needed food, so took it. This give and take with all other beasts was the basic bargain of life. The people never questioned their world or theorised about their purpose within it. They ate and slept and enjoyed each day's heat, each night's cool. There were no gods and no prayers. If ever they needed guidance for how to live, they looked to the world around them. The woodpecker hammers the tree, not to announce itself lord of the trees, but to find its next meal. The bear both hunts and hides in the same day. It does not believe itself to be more than it is. Despite its inborn desire to become enormous, the cedar grows only as fast as the available water and sun allows it to. It bides its time, because to do more would jeopardise its right to be, and when it grows new branches upon its crown, it drops its lowest ones to the ground. By shedding those tired old sticks, the young branches grow with all the trees might, fanning out towards the sun's light. This cue, coming from the cedar, shaped the people's way of life most of all. Like the great tree, so too did they constantly prune themselves back. For as far back as the histories went, the people's number had always been 100. Upon the birth of a child, an old one's body would quit its life. He or she would fall slack and never waken up. Conversely, when by some accident a person found his or untimely death, at that very moment, contractions would seize a pregnant mother-to-be. Just as breath stopped in the throat of the dead man, it began as a wailing cry in that of the newest babe. In this way, mourning and elation lived side by side. Upon birth, the people would pass their children all around. They would weigh the child in their arms and coo and fret. The best things in their larder, they fed the child alone. They brought her on their backs up the trees and showed her the dawn. At night, in the long shelter, the mother held the child to her breast. The people called out from their beds, singing the child a good night. Thank you, Johnny. Great reading. 
Um, Kate has just come in. Excellent. Uh, what did Kate just say? Excellent prose, but we need a character to hang on to. I totally agree with that. Interesting comment from Lex there as well. In the genius room, we call it the genius room because they're always right and never wrong. And this is your living laboratory, authors. This is where you get the, the lowdown on your submission. Live is like a slice through the collective consciousness. It's amazing. There's nothing else like it. Um, Lex said something that I thought summed up the reactions of a lot of other people too. Some interesting world building, he says, and fantastic prose emphasised, but this is 100% tell. Give us this in the form of a story, not a National Geographic special narration. Uh, Rachel says, nice idea, does seem like a proposal more than a book. And um, Johnny, who's just read it, says, it has a depth of feeling to it. Um, like the title of this, I agree with that as well, Johnny. Um, and Michelle says, hi, everyone. Excellent. <laughs> what, did you th what did you think, Bob and Carol? Yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think we need a character. Um, I can just see our agent coming back to us and saying, um, scrap that bit. Um, it was like they do tend to say that, like, don't they, agents? Yeah, yeah, they scrap that bit. It was, it was almost strange. It was, strange people. It was almost yeah. like it was almost like um, he's actually writing himself into it, hmm. if you like, yeah. Yeah. rather than actually grabbing. So I think it'd have been really if we'd have had a birth or a death at the very start, and then all the old is like running for cover, like no, it can't be me that's going. Um, yeah. Um, so what do you think about the, the right basic team. idea that you, you heard in the blurb? Um, the cliff top oh, people have always numbered 100. I, li I like that a lot too. Yes, I, I, I like the idea. Yeah, I like the title. Like I like the, title. the blurb. Yeah. I'm waiting for it. It started off nicely. And yeah. then it seemed to, like I said, it's just tell. I'm waiting <laughs> for n not all that knowledge. I wanted something to impact there. That yeah. there was a death that's been that through everybody. Or there were two deaths at once. Or... There was a wipeout of a number of people. Something happened that really yeah. lifted it again. We yeah. seemed to just level out on a plateau and it never seemed to get going after that. Yeah, I, I needed more story. All I got really was a, the, um, a sort of rehash of the blurb, which was a bit disappointing. But let's see. Uh, don't, uh, Bob and Carol, don't forget, please press your vote button. You haven't voted yet. Um, Andy, I've done it, uh, yeah. Great, thanks very much. Andy, you can vote too. And uh, first reactions? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think it's all been said, isn't it? What the genius room is saying. Yeah, what I, I so. guess it's said. I mean, it is. I think it's a really nice setup. I think the the blurb, the last couple of sentences of the blurb, made me think, oh, this could be going a bit in a generic YA direction. But then, but then maybe, frankly, that's just that's just the fact that YA has become so popular, and we've had so many books that we can kind of figure that it might be going in a certain direction. But I just thought there was some lovely prose. There was some really lovely writing. Um, uh, uh, Cole, you can you can certainly write. It, it's, some of the writing was was just beautiful, but it's all set up like exactly like Lex said. It's all tell, and what we really want is something to happen. And any any number of those things you gave us in those opening, you know, seven hundred words, you could have given us as an action sequence that we could then have got our, our teeth into and, yeah. and to have hooked us in. Um, but yeah. yeah. Yeah, cool. Okay, um, Cole, uh, you're not doing badly here because you've already got 45 and Andy's vote has not come in yet. Have you pressed your, your button by any chance, Andy? I have. I have. You it have. hasn't gone through. Okay, well, we'll have to check that out in a moment, see what's going on there. So you you know you've got 45. You might get more than that. So it could be quite a, a significant score. The thing is, though, you know, you know, you know the people who this is going to, Cole. Um, you've said as much. And, you, you know, you've got to, you know you've got to grab them by the throat straight away. 
because we are in competition these days ruthlessly with the likes of TikTok and so on. You've got to do something other than just an exposition. I think everyone is united now. Everyone thinks it's a great idea, but the execution at the moment is, uh, is a little bit slow. Um, let's go straight to submission number two. I mean, and meanwhile, we'll sort out Andy's uh, voting. <laughs> Submission number two comes from Daniel, who I happen to know is actually live with us on YouTube right now. Hello, Daniel. Yes, there you go. You're going to get feedback right away. You're going to, you're going to be drowning in feedback, Daniel. Oh, my goodness. It's called The Adventures of Ostwald. Ostwald? Might of Magic. YA fantasy, of course, which everything is. Well, everything is YA on today's show. And we've got a website there, QI code, and this is Daniel's blurb. The nation of Ostwald is threatened by the greatest evil that the kingdom has ever seen. In an attempt to uncover and defeat the unknown darkness that's infiltrated the Order and flourished from within, multiple magicians undertake thrilling journeys of love, loss and triumph to try to defy the odds that are stacked against them. Can the protagonists overcome evil against all odds? United with humans, dwarves, like dwarves, and gods. All right, tell me about Daniel. I'm 19 years old, says Daniel. So you are actually right at the beginning of your writing career. It was very young for a writer, very young. You've got decades ahead of you, actually, which is brilliant. Uh, currently studying politics, uh, philosophy and economics, PPE at university, using this to incorporate microcosms that represent the modern world within my work. Hmm, timed and relevant. I fell in love with writing after having an amazing English language teacher. How nice that is. And I think that's so often true, actually, of, of writers. Um, yeah, full credit and acknowledgement to our English teachers. Um, and have written short stories and poems since then. But this is the first time I've written a novel. I also enjoy sports such as figure skating and tennis. I love philosophical concepts and ideas and thinking about them deeply, as well as respectful debates, and have tried to incorporate these when appropriate within the book. Okay. As well as internal conflict. It sounds like you've got everything. Well, you have got everything apart from a reading by Jeff that you're just going to get now. The Adventures of Oswald, Might of Magic by Daniel Red by Jeff. Master Woodrow, the lead warlock of the West Magicians Guild, was widely respected by the other three guild leaders and was second in magical skill only to Master Diego, the lead sorcerer of the entire nation of Ostwald. In his duty in overseeing the western parts of the Grand Kingdom, Woodrow's main job was to detect people of magical ability and induct them into the Supreme Order of Magicians, where they were then assigned a guild based on their enchantments, conduct and their geographical experience. When Woodrow was a boy, he had been sent to the North Guild and was originally one of the least gifted sorcerers discovered. However, his hard work ethic and his thirst for knowledge helped him overcome these hurdles and gain a wealth of magical knowledge. Eventually, this resulted in him gaining incredible skill over enchantments which required very little natural aptitude, although needed exhaustingly hard concentration and great technical mastery that the dedicated magician had focused on conquering. One of his tasks was reaching out to detect those with magic potential and to locate and measure magical signatures. Usually, this exhausting duty was tedious and unexciting. Typically, just reaching out into the druidic network over a wide area 
attempting to seek out those with a faint mark of magical ability with locked powers, thus allowing the sorcerer to locate them and induct them into the order, or to put stronger locks on their powers to prevent them from ever being able to be harnessed if required. Occasionally, Woodrow felt the faint glow of magic and was able to send out a small squad of magicians to search for the person. However, today was rather unusual. People, generally speaking, could have infinite amounts of magical strength. Nonetheless, they would never be able to master a single piece of magic without the help of another witch or wizard. This is because, in a natural state, a person's potential was locked and they would be unable to access their powers without them being unlocked by another magician. The only exception to this was the once-in-a-generation sorcerers, who were born with such extreme powers that with enough concentration and willpower were able to discover their magical energy, known as their Zumba, and harness it. Master Diego was one such wizard. He had enough raw power to quickly overtake all his peers by practicing as a lone wolf, without any formal instruction, before his great power trace was finally detected by Mistress Blaze. She oversaw the Eastern Tower and was an incredible witch in her own right, and discovered Diego after she had gone on a long pilgrimages for the great Scarwin Mountains. Woodrow's day had gone well thus far. He was lucky enough to detect two powerful entities whilst performing the mundane task of searching through the Judaic network for any signs of magical potential. Both of the entities were in a similar geographical area near the Great Western Forest. Woodrow has sent a force of young magicians together with an older wizard named Grinhelm to reach for these Zumba signatures, and he hoped they would arrive soon. He was always excited to introduce new recruits to magic. Of course, everyone in the nation of Oswald heard of sorcery. However, not many people knew of the inner workings of magic. People only knew it existed and regarded it differently depending on which village one lived in. Some celebrated it with joy and others regarded it with suspicion. Woodrow enjoyed watching recruits' faces light up when he told them of the various types of magical ability he had witnessed and the uses of energy before finishing with explaining how they would be instructed in the art and learn carefully about how to harness their innate ability with a finesse taught in one of the guilds. On the special seventh day of every moon cycle, he would take recruits to the unnerving speaking ceremony where Master Diego searched their souls for entirety so he could find the loyalties, commitments and nature to allocate them to the best guild possible where they'd all be given the opportunity to flourish. Thank you, Jeff. Quite a lot of praise here reading that. Um, so, Daniel, I know you're with us, so um, I'm just going to let you browse all the extraordinary feedback you've got here, actually. I mean, I don't know where you could get such live, real-time feedback as you do here. Um, now, great reading, says Michelle, absolutely. Eva says, reads like a history book, not a story. Matt says, it's a really interesting idea. It's not a really interesting opening. I don't mind the writing, but I'm waiting for the story to start. Um, and Galadriel points out that Ostwald seemed like a protagonist. I thought that too, actually. I thought that was the name of our, our protag in the title. But actually, as a nation, hmm. 
And Rachel says, Brave Daniel! Yes, let's hear from Daniel. Uh, Daniel, for submitting so young. Good luck. Um, and can we just uh, get Jeff's um, feedback here? Because he was our narrator after all. And actually, interestingly, I don't know if you know this, Daniel, but our narrators choose what they want to read. So he chose you because he, he wanted to read this. Um, and Jeff says, good voice, story flowed, kept my interest, and yes, I would turn the page. So fine, let's go to Andy. Bring out your inner child. What's it saying to you? Yeah, yeah um, on the subject of child, I do think this read from the blurb actually, maybe a little bit more middle grade than, than YA. It might um, be. And maybe I think it's the title that kind of gave me that, and that the blurb was kind of heading that direction. I thought the blurb was fine. There's a big sentence in the middle there. You might want to look at splitting that up a little bit. But I mm. mean, crumbs, you know, you're 19, you're doing really well as a good opening sentence and it started rattling along quite well but again much like the previous um submission it was just lots and lots of telling um yeah, yeah. at least we had character we did have the character in there there was a lot of names i think you, you, you might want to cut down on some of those names in the first 700 world words but but i think really we, we want action we want some showing we want we want an event actually happening you got to the point where you said and then today things were different um, you, you pique our interest and then you started giving us more more backstory i thought ultimately it was like you were you're writing the rules of your world which is which is brilliant we want you we need you to know the rules of your world but i think you need to question whether we need to know the rules of your world quite so quickly and i'd submit them i don't think we really do i think we need a character going through something that we can then hold our hat on i think yes. you need to put in the scene a little bit more yes. than, than you were but, but you know hats off to you you're, you're extremely young and um yeah it's a good good first try see all the all the solidarity amongst amongst writers it makes me out to be the, the world's biggest bastard actually because i'm the guy who's going to make money out of it and everyone's being so supportive to you daniel i hope hope you're basking in all all the love there but let's see what bob and carol are saying well i agree with what andy said and what a lot of people have said I was waiting for it to jump and when we got to that bit today Master Diego I thought right this is the punch coming this is going to eat us now we're going to get some actual hard and fast action and drip feeding the rest of it as we go along and it never happened mm. uh, and I think somebody else said it was more like to me than it went into a synopsis it was turning me off as time went on because it just was giving us the rules of the game they were like, mm. in some respect, like reading instructions, which you don't mm. want. And yeah. 700 words, you've got to, like you would know, Pete, uh, as the agent, you've got to whack people straight between the eyes. Oh, but, I like whacking them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But great Definitely. start, you know, great potential there. And, and it's and it's like we all do. You have to learn the craft. Daniel, can I just say, before we go, um, yeah, great advice. And, and I'm in exactly the same position as you are in really right now because... I'm trying to start the book and I'm also mm. trying to condense everything that somebody needs to know. And I, although I know it all, your reader doesn't need to know it all. Yeah. So put that to one side and then start again with all that information that you know and then drip feed it. You see That's this so often. Advice. You see this so often. It's you know. Well, I don't know who originally coined the phrase "kill your darlings," but it's so true. You know, you you, you It's the stuff that you like the the most that quite often you've got to get rid of. I need to say say something uh, to Daniel about trademarks. 
This is very dull, but it's very important. You've just used somebody's worldwide trademark, Zumba, which is the trademark of Zumba Fitness LLC, formerly known as Rumbasize. I think it's a neologism, which is a new word. <laughs> and that means they've created this word to describe their intellectual property. They will be after you like crazy if you do this. <laughs> So please don't, I mean, you've got, to change, you've got to be aware of these things for a start. Don't, you know, I mean, if you send it into a publisher, and if that publisher just happens to do Zumba, which probably about 100 million people do do in the world, then, you know, it, it won't go well for you, actually. It'll either create a bad impression as far as the publisher's concerned, or heaven forbid, if this got published, you would have legal letters coming for you. So let's, let's not do that. Um, and yeah, I, I agree with what everyone as I said, it, it felt like you were giving me a briefing. And just think about your, your reader. Not too, not too different to you in age range. Maybe, I don't know, four or five years younger. And, you, you know, you're sitting them down and you're saying, I'm going to tell you a great story. Would you have kept their attention after these 700 words? I don't think you would. So that's, that's the situation. You've got to imagine your reader. What can I do to enrapture them in the next few seconds? That's all you get. All you get. But what you have got is a very, very respectable four to six points. I think, um, I think we should try one more, shall we? Yeah. Here we go. Player number three today: a fall from the rise. A fall from the rise. Why a dystopia? Uh, it's almost synonymous with the dystopian writing. At least it has been over the past few years. I think that's changing personally. What's coming next? Ooh. Maybe we'll find out from Jody. This is Jody's blurb in a future where animals no longer exist and people have become the replacement for meat. Baxter Selfield. <laughs> Baxter. So, used to be a firm of butchers, didn't they? You can like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, tries to navigate her way through the world and stay alive. Coming from impoverished regions, she unexpectedly finds herself climbing the ranks in a world controlled by the hires. Trying to stick to her morals in the corrupt but wealthy region of the centre, she attempts to help those less fortunate than her, but is she willing to make the ultimate sacrifice for the greater good? That is the question we all ask ourselves these days, isn't it? Let me tell everyone about you, Jodie. During lockdown last year, after completing my university degree, which you presumably did via the Zoom, as everybody else did, I decided to finish the novel I started a while ago. A Fall from the Rise is the first book I've finished, and it's reignited my passion for writing. Good. I uh, hope we don't put it out tonight. <laughs> They won't. I might. Um, I was inspired to write the book as a way to loosely address animal agriculture, pressing the right buttons for me, uh, and the way animals are treated in the present day by creating a dystopian world where humans are made to fill this role instead. I like that. Nice satire. I wanted to write a story that would be entertaining, but also thought-provoking. Good. That's... That's the heart and soul of YA, actually. Um, I didn't want the message to be overwhelming to readers or to take away from the story, but it is there in the background for those who want to think about it. I've since started writing a follow-on book and would love to get them published. Hopefully this will be one step closer towards your goal, especially since we've got a reading from Emily. A Fall from the Rise by Jodie, read by Emily. Chapter 1. Baxter Selfield. I glance up to the front of the hall, careful not to move my head. I am perfectly camouflaged amongst the other students. We all wear grey overalls with heavy-duty black boots. Everybody looks the same, even down to the colour of our hair. It's mainly brown here, 
though mine has uncharacteristic auburn tones. Our hair is short, and number seven is the longest cut you allowed. No patterns, just an even cut. When the overalls were introduced, the majority of the students tried desperately to be different, rolling up their sleeves, safety pinning the waist to get a more cinched-in look, and, as a last resort, simply making the collar stand up. But you have to admire the hires. They punished any form of individuality, and after a measly week, all 300 students here complied. So now we all look practically identical. Something I don't mind as, believe me, there are bigger things to worry about. The head is on the stage reading out the names of all the classmates that are graduating this year. She must have been a student herself not long ago. Five years, maybe. Her grey blouse and black flared trousers match the colours of our region, but the red beaded necklace she sports is the colour of a region closer to the centre. Although the red has faded, looking almost as close to the pink shade of the north, the pop of colour is unmissable in these bleak surroundings. Every ten names or so she touches her neck, as if checking her jewellery is still there to show she isn't one of us. She must have connections with the centre. I'm certain the other students have seen it too. All the students graduating from the SWBG Education Institute, with no connections to the privileged people of the centre, will coyly ask her about employment soon. They'll slip in an egotistical line about how hard-working and committed they are, adding the feigned afterthought of, Oh, by the way, could you recommend me for a job? As if she would want to take pity on us. Anyway, the necklace has probably been passed down generation after generation. We are having no living relative near the centre anymore. She probably just got lucky getting head of SWBG Education Institution and has no real influence. Or, the idea can't help but install fear in me, The necklace is a test designed to trip up those of us who think we are worthy of employment near the centre. Maybe she'll remember everybody who asks her for a job and make sure we are punished for being so brazen. Either way, it's probably not worth the risk to ask. Probably. The head calls my name again. I step up onto the stage. Surprisingly, I don't feel particularly anxious anymore about this pivotal moment. Until I look at the head. There's something about her that makes my skin crawl and I can't help but shudder as her spidery hands almost graze my own when she hands me my graduation card. I could have sworn she noticed my repulsion, but she keeps her composure, except for her eyes which almost seem to light up in excitement. Or maybe I'm just being paranoid. I sit down on the next available chair lined up around the edges of the hall, tucking my proof of graduation into my overall pocket. That was it then. It really is happening. I find it difficult to sit still as I try not to think about what is to come. It's 1.20pm. You can feel the tension in the room, eyes shifting to the clock, mounted at the top of the back wall. The occasional movement of heads as students in a less fortunate seat crane their necks to get a glance of the time, ebbing so slowly towards 4pm. Others fail to appear nonchalant, trying to be inconspicuous as they glance towards the ceiling, then quickly run their eyes towards the black framed clock. 1.21pm. There is interrupted silence. Nobody speaks but the head whom continues to read out the graduation names. She's up to Turner now. Not long left. All right. Um, great comments here. Um, and the reason why it's called the Genius Room is that they, they always get it right. Always get it right. Uh, talk about the wisdom of crowds. God. Um the um yeah the, so I, I threw out this uh, this quote uh, kill your darlings and i got corrected instantly by the genius room it's murder your darlings um says vagabond 
Um, yeah, Vagamon Ha, Sir Arthur Colacooch said it, according to Google, not Faulkner. Murder your darlings. Thank you so much, Junior's Room. Uh, Matt says, once again, great blurb. I thought that too. Rachel's getting excited. Ooh, she says cannibalism. Uh, <laughs> I wonder what's the tea today, Rachel. Uh, blurb has me leading forward, says Jan. Great. Lots of excitement there. Michelle also likes the title and blurb. Barbara says, very, very accurately and very importantly too, actually, Jody. Uh, presentation is not great. You know, it's sort of, you know, it's, it's just, it's awful to look at, to be honest. And we, what we do is we actually put on screen the you know the the very document you send through so if it's if it's weird and there's another one today actually that i've had a peek at that, that's got some strange presentation this isn't as weird as we get sometimes but it's still not that easy to read you've got to pay attention to it you know imagine you're reading the end of a long friday you know 50 submissions unsolicited submissions you know the ones that, that look a bit difficult or a bit eye straining you're not going to, going to get much attention to bob and carol yeah, that, do you know? I really like that. I followed mm. it, and uh, I'd like I'd like the um, mention of the cannibalism um, to come in earlier. I think I think that'd be quite a you know a sort yeah, of um, holding back moment. I Something gets your teeth nice. into. Oh yes. Yeah, exactly. And and I think you know the part where it slowed it down, where we were having a lot of description, and it slowed it down a bit. You know, could she do that as a conversation? Perhaps could she speak to somebody and, you know, like they pass, you know, whispering to each other or something? I think that could quicken it up a little bit. Um, yeah. But no, I liked it. Not Excellent. Not everybody likes meat, Carol. <laughs> Not everybody likes meat, so there could be a problem there. But no, joking apart, uh, I thought it really draws you in. Uh, you can relate to the conditioning of the group. Uh, people there all looking alike handmaid's tale you know yeah. police officers you know uh, all in uniform uh, so you can relate to it and I thought yeah uh, in comparison we're not uh, decrying the other two but this one to me steps above good uh, excellent and I enjoyed it I, I would I would go reading this carry on reading it to see what that's it fantastic that's fantastic you're not the only one because also um, yeah, live on YouTube right now. Michael is with us. Thank you very much for being with us, Michael. And uh, yeah, um, some real good elements, says Michael, in the story setup. My 70 year old mother, not quite YA, but close, wanted to turn the page. Yes! That's just what we're <laughs> yes. looking for. Fantastic. Andy. Um, yeah, I'm not as enthusiastic, I'm afraid. Um, I'm not mad about the title. I think where you got us excited was cannibalism. Because, <laughs> you know, as a subject, cannibalism isn't one we talk about that much. I mean, no. like, even in the realms of, you know, horror films, cannibalism is, is a subject rarely that rarely gets to a big audience. Oh, sometimes it's um, medium rare. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's how I take Pete. Um, but... <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think I think that on a more serious note, that there's something really smart about this. You know, using dystopia as a way to talk about vegetarianism, our our need for the planet to survive, if it is going to survive, we're, and yet eating meat at the same time. There, there's some real smarts in your setup. So I'd say congratulations on that. Also, back to the cell field was a brilliant name. I love that. I was I was a little bit like confused that, that Baxter was a her rather yeah. than a he. But hey, I'm old, so yeah. so maybe that's the reason for that. Yeah. Um, I think I think just finished on the blurb. I think the last couple of sentences in the blurb. I'm not really sure you're giving us much of the plot, but mm. 
what what really ups what not upset me but what really <laughs> let me down I think with this was like the unfortunately the grey overalls. I think grey overalls in the dystopian or YA genre have just been over. Yeah, I yeah. Think, you know, totally. you look at the, the Hunger Games is like the high the high end of YA, yeah. certainly success wise. Yeah. And then, you know, we, we looked at the diversion earlier, which I mean I read didn't read them, but films wise, by God, by the third one I was like Please yeah. just make it stop. It was just I think we've done it so, a bit, haven't we? Really. Yeah, it was yeah. so overdone. So I yeah. think although your writing was nice, I wouldn't say starting with grey overalls, which is so synonymous, yes. synon- or that word, yeah. with this genre, is really the, the place to really set your, yeah. your story out. There oh, was some nice stuff in there, but as I said before, the, 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 te- the text was quite dense. I'd say if you're going to start in, in graduation, I think that's a really canny place to start. Again, I think but graduations are quite an odd experience i've found um you know your feelings your emotions are you know and it's a whole thing of formality um you know am i going to lose my friends what's the point in all this anyway because we've already got drunk and celebrated or in in you know in water am i gonna go out of graduation and then get eaten so i'd say there's probably more than <laughs> In a more exciting way in that setup. That's that tasty little going out for a meal. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Go out for a meal. Um, <laughs> go out for a thing- meal. The thing, I, I totally agree with you. My dad, you know, oh, here we go now. Okay, we've just gone off. <laughs> Deliver to not, your door. Nothing else is going to be serious Deliver. for us to show now. Sorry, I, that's entirely your fault, Jody. The thing is that uh, what I didn't, I think you're absolutely right, but you, what you're seeing there is potential, actually, I think, Andy. And the thing is that yes. she did say that, um, you know, it's happening, but I'm not, not that I'm apprehensive about it. I'm not really that worried about it. And um, I kind of right at the beginning of the book, I want I want to start to, f- to pick up those emotional vibes straight away. And the, you you mentioned about half a dozen emotions actually that you might feel before, during, and after graduation. And I think we want to experience those definitely. Totally agree with you on that. Uh, let's just go back to the junior room, who are nothing if not productive today. My God, they're on steroids. Um, <laughs> Matt says, "Good point. Maybe start with human teeth ripping into human flesh." And Eva says, <laughs> clicking noise. <laughs> I don't know what she means. Clicking noise. Oh, okay. It could be me. I don't know. My bones or something. Um, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. <laughs> I, I hope you're... No, you're it's not repeat. I hope you like that, Jodie, because, you know, you've got... Amazing feedback for people. The most important thing I haven't said is that I lo- there's elements of really nice voice in that, I thought. And that's one of the things you look for. Because most, most people, for reasons we won't go into right now, most, most you know, writers don't have very much voice to begin with. And you want voice. Your voice is so important. The stronger your voice, the more better chances you are of getting published and you have of getting published and uh, ultimate success, actually. And I felt really... There was quite a quite a good voice coming through, only in parts, but it's there. Your voice is there, and that's the important thing. We don't get voice in every submission by any means. Um, let's have a look at something else now. Let's uh, uh, with three submissions into the show. Let's look at the how the numbers are stacking up. Pretty tight, pretty tight. You got Cole. You I think with us now. You got sixty. Jody has just pipped you the 62. It's close. It's neck and neck. And 47 for Daniel. So two more submissions to go. Someone's already voted on submission number four. 
that's very naughty all right so i'm going to cancel those votes right now because we do from time to time get emails from people saying ah, it's all put up job it's not live and all this kind of stuff it is if you saw the cock-ups happening earlier it's definitely live um so <laughs> we're going to have to edit that out um so <laughs> before we get to the next submission i am actually going to zero those votes because someone's been very naughty it does happen from time to time i'll just zero them out um but before that happens i think i think bob and carol we want we want you to i tell you what why don't we have a look first of all at your magnificent website there it is I have no idea how many books that the, you've written together. For those people who don't know Bob and Carol, and honestly, is there anyone in the world at the moment who doesn't know Bob and Carol? <laughs> Amazing police career between you. Something like 500 years in, in the force. Murders <laughs> solved, all kinds of things. Just a totally distinguished career. Then went on to write no end of police procedural books um, and advise on all sorts of interesting things like television and this that and the other so i'm going to ask you not just about your website but what was this we're seeing tell us about that well when the killing starts we it's um it's actually book number seven of the di dylan series that we we wrote um first of all and di dylan is loosely based on bob and um, his oh. career and our oh. home life so, so throughout the series, you actually meet Bob because Deadly Focus was the first book that we wrote, um, and you get to follow them through a few years of their life um, nice. at home as well. Nice. Uh, now, when the killing starts was actually loosely based on um, a murder that Bob dealt. Well, he was actually part of, and he, he received the Dennis Herbin uh, Trophy for great detective work in West Yorkshire Police um, for that murder. And um, yeah, and it looked very loosely based on it, but that's where we ended up on the CBS channel, uh, yeah. Reading Blood, um, yeah. about that murder. And yeah. that's actually in, um, if you'll just pass me that, Bob. It's just, it's actually written. It can't be brought in. It's actually written up in one of the crime magazines. Um, I don't know how you guys yeah, managed to get any words it? written, actually. You're going on, on, on <laughs> Bob's just going on and on, isn't he, really? Oh, he does. Um, well, no, I'm not doing any talking. Relatively speaking, yeah, relatively. Let's just, <laughs> let me just ask, ask both of you, completely off, off the wall. We're, doing, we're dealing with YA tonight, you know, young adult, anything from 12, 13 to 18 or so. So g going back, casting your, your mind back to when you were that age, what books really made an impression on you? Maybe sometimes even, of course, books of that age can change your life. What, what books? Yeah, for me, for me, it was actually um, The Diary of Anne Frank. Oh, wow. Um, was it? And uh, that brought about the love of reading biographies and autobiographies ah. um but i can't I, I mean i can't watch anything to do with the holocaust um it really mm. really does upset me um yeah. you know i mean like i say we've been in the police for 48 years between us yeah. and yet something yeah. like that i yeah. cannot bring myself i should because i should face it um, these people went through it and I should respect that, you know, and I should, I should actually bring myself to watch it just to respect that. But mm. I, I just, I just can't. And, and yeah, reading Anne Frank's yeah. diary was a definite change in my yeah. life. Wow. I'm wow. smiling, Pete, because she says I talk a lot. <laughs> but, but, uh, no, I, as, as a youngster, you know, between that age group, I didn't read a lot at all. I think, well, the first book I ever read was Tom Sawyer. Um, was it really? You know, uh, yeah. And, I really was 
I'm an impatient person, you know, I've, mm. I've got to move from one thing to another. Mm. Uh, love the outdoors. And I think between those age groups, my thing was sport. And uh, I never got into to reading at all till in later life. And a lot mm. of that was textbooks and, and, and law. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and it's only in later life that you, 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 you find started reading it. for pleasure. I found the time as I've got yeah. older. Yeah. Into that, well, it's uh, always a deferred pleasure, actually. Club. Yeah, it doesn't really matter when you start. Actually, it just means you've got more great, great stuff to to uncover. You know, I mean, I was I was going on to uh, a significantly younger person the, the other day about P.G. Woodhouse. He'd never been exposed to P.G. Woodhouse, and I just thought, you lucky, you lucky sod, because you've got so many great books there, amusing, entertaining books, great books for lockdown. Actually, are they going to change your life? No, but are, are they going to entertain you? Yeah, absolutely. Let's bring Andy into this now. Andy, same question to you. When you were slightly younger than you are now, uh, what books uh, were formative for you? What made an impression on you? Gosh, um, oh, it's hard to say, really. Yeah. I think, I mean, I do remember reading both, both, both the books mentioned, actually, Tom Sawyer and, um, and Anne Frank in, in school. Hmm. Um, they were certainly a staple. Um, yeah. Lord of yeah. Rise. To be honest, when, when I was Fries, a kid yeah. and I started uh, reading for pleasure, because I'm really into films, I've always liked films, so... I was always grabbing books that there were films. So Back yeah. to the Future, Gremlins, yeah. Star Wars, yeah. you know. Do anyone remember the, the miniseries V? I loved that when I was a kid. When oh, I was nice. about 11. Yeah. That was the best thing. Graphic novel to, too, wasn't it? Graphic novel. Yeah, yeah. So, mm. yeah, I, I, I devoured stuff like that. Um, yeah. yeah, and, and the, to be honest, the James Herriot books, they were in the library yeah. at school, so yeah. I read all them and all. Yeah, brilliant. Fantastic. All, all great recommendations for uh, the uh, new YA. Let's just go to the genius room and see. Rachel says, I felt exactly the same way as you, actually, Carol. That's interesting, isn't it? Jan says, The Outsiders. Oh, yes, absolutely. And they go on for me. East of Eden. East of Eden. I haven't read that, actually. Blew me away at age 13. How precocious you were. First grown-up book I read. Uh, it's all coming in now. Johnny says, My big moment was Tom Sawyer too. Oh, there you go. Uh, Bob, yeah, and then as young and aspiring yeah, hippie, I discovered J.R.R. Of course, no one's mentioned Tolkien yet, who narrowly got published, only with the greatest of difficulty, just like Joanne Rowling. Actually, you know, we we nearly missed two of the biggest bestsellers in the whole of the 20th century, but maybe we won't miss them now because we've got two more submissions. Fourth submission today comes from James. Hello, James. If you're with us live, let us know, please, on YouTube. It's Y8 Science Fiction this time. Good. The stars are yours now. That's your title. I rather like that. First impression is good. This is James's blurb. History has ended. Humanity resides in a great city where there is no danger, no adversaries, and no endeavour. This paradise is tended by a hypersentient consciousness known as Core. 17-year-old Kyla Law lives in a reservation, a community that still believes in democracy. She plans to overthrow the city's sentience and secure her people's freedom to do this. She has made herself into a weapon, a virus carrier. Oh, not again, please. A virus carrier <laughs> who will infect Core and destroy it. All right. Yeah, everyone, everyone's uh, reacting strongly to that title, James. Um, short and sweet from James. I'm a professional seafarer. Ahoy. Sorry. Probably get that a lot. <laughs> Don't hit me. Uh, oh, dear. <laughs> <laughs> 
having served in the Navy for 16 years. Uh, when on leave, I live in rural West Sussex with my husband and cat and enjoy Southdown walks and reading historical non-fiction. That sounds absolutely sublime. What also sounds sublime is today's reading from Ali. The Stars Are Yours Now by James, read by Alison. If my chest were a cannon and my heart the hot lead ball, I'd still shoot. I would shoot my heart out because I'll do anything, everything to destroy it. So long as it exists, we'll never be free. Problem is, metaphors don't hurt. It's been easy for me to think I'll do it and say I'll do it. I've been doing that for years. Now's the moment. Time to act. And to exhale. Kyla? With a flick, I open my eyelids to the sunlit mountains. To my right are the grey peaks set against an ever-blue sky. To my left, open prairie. Normally this epic land settles me, but not today. Larch is staring at me. Kyla, you okay? He gets a tightly screwed forehead for such a stupid question. Cousin, I'm about to take a pill and erase my memories, possibly, probably, forgetting who I am forever. So no, not that okay. My horse's thick muscles shift beneath, and his strength does calm me. He's a thoroughbred, which makes him awesome, but also highly strung. No matter how I try, I'll never hide my inner stress from him. It's okay, Max, I soothe, leaning into his ear and getting a whiff of horsey sweat mixed with dewy grass. Large breaks his staring. I'm calm. Really, I am. I've chosen to do this. I'm okay, I tell him, like saying it aloud makes it true. Lodge is more than a cousin. He's been my friend since forever. But he thinks too much, gets wrenched and double-stuck by his own thoughts. If I thought as much as him, I'd be frozen by indecision. And I can't afford to shake my aim. If I'm the arrow, my aim and course must be perfect, else I'll not hit my target. Larch wrinkles that smooth forehead of his and turns his back, jumping into his own saddle. I straighten my back, wanting to appear steady and resolute under fire, like a fighting general of the past. Max snorts, shaking his mane. Come on, boy, I am trying. The beating heart cannon metaphor hasn't really helped, and it's too bloody anyway. I don't actually need to sacrifice myself for democracy to live. I just need to be like an arrow, keep my aim true. That's better. A good simile is always less melodramatic than a metaphor. I'm like an arrow. No need to blast my chest out. But there's still a sacrifice to be made. To defeat the AI, I must wipe my memories. To deceive it, I must deceive myself. Mess around with my mind. My one and only. And there ain't no money-back guarantee for memories. Larch turns to me and crinkles his lip into a grin. Smiling? At a time like this? What? I snap. Oh, nothing. Just thinking this might be the first time I beat you at anything. I can't stop a grin in return. He's looking at me like I was his cousin, just the girl he's grown up with, out on a ride. And I love him for it. Large, this race won't count, I reply. The plan is simple. To be certain of duping the AI, I must erase all knowledge of my mission from my mind. That means creating a convincing cause for my memory loss. We decided, seeing as I live on a ranch, the amnesia-inducing accident should be whilst out riding. Larch drops a smile. Kyla, uh, I just want to tell you, you, you know, I think you're really brave. So much for lightening the mood. I meet his eyes. Don't start getting real now, Larchie. It doesn't suit you. 
and it isn't helping me. His face breaks and the frown lifts. Fine, have it your way. We line our horses up and he starts a countdown. We've raced back to the ranch from this spot many times. The track on the left is marked by a row of posts and there's a ridge line with a single ash tree on the right. That tree also marks the hidden gully. Main reason I always win. I never slow to make the jump. Larch always does. Not today though. This time I will make myself fall. Right, wonder where that's going. Um, good dialogue, says Johnny, uh, natural. Love the voice of the writer, says Jan, and the reading is great. Always great, of course. Uh, Hannah says, slight repetition of the memory wiping thing, but overall very engaging. Uh, very positive uh, comments there. Lex, love this writing, gladly enjoying this. Top of the class tonight, says Johnny so far. Michelle, great voice. Vagabond says, yeah, probably a YA in feel. Hannah says, good YA voice. What did you think there, please? Andy. Yeah, I'd agree. I think it's definitely the best submission of the night so far. Um, I like the title. Um, your blurb again, it, 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 towards the end it started to remind me a bit of, of uh, Mortal Engines, and I wasn't a massive oh, yeah. fan of Mortal Engines. Um, I'm going to pick, just because I'm a journalist, and, and you know, call me whatever name you want because of that, <laughs> History is Ended <laughs> is, is a really nice sentence, and it's a really lovely opening line for a blurb. Having said that, as a journalist who you know deals in prose in, in, in the name of truth and what have you, and then like, well, has it really? You know, how exactly does history end? And and within kind yeah. of as we get deeper into your manuscript, we can tell, well, like, you know, erase my memories. Well, that would suggest this your own personal history, and mm. then fighting a general of the past. Well, that would no suggest that then there is some kind of history. So mm. I'd just be careful a little bit when you're kind of like you know when you've got a great sentence like that to make sure it actually does make sense within the world that you're creating. Having said that, the world you created was good fun. You, your prose was really nice. Uh, I, I love the opening first few parts down to the problem is metaphors don't hurt. That's just really great. That's just really great. I was a little bit at sea because you were doing in a sense the opposite of, of the other people we've, we've seen so far done. You were, you were doing lots and lots of showing and giving us lots and lots of character, which is what we asked for, so brilliant. Um, but I was a little at sea, but then you, when you've got to the amnesia-inducing accident while out riding, well then brilliant, I know where you are, I know what you're trying to do, and I know how you're trying to do it. So, hmm. so yes, the top marks, I enjoyed it, I thought it was good. Good, well, can I just ask you, Andy, because uh, you've, you've got, given this a good old uh, analysis here. So uh, I'm just quoting from the blurb, she plans to overthrow the city sentience and secure her people's freedom. I mean, is, is, that, is, is that, I don't know, is that a big enough threat, big enough objective, a big enough peril? I mean, basically, these, these people are all living quite happily, if somewhat boringly, under AI sentience. And I guess that's probably the way we're going to end up living sooner or later in any case, in real life, because that's the problem these days, you can't really do dystopia because it's going to happen tomorrow. Um, is that is that something we can identify with? Is it a big enough objective, do you think? I think I think we identify with it in the way that you just have, because I think those those fears are current and they have currency, but what you're not giving us is a reason. Yeah. Um, and that's why you're yeah, and that's why in a sense I'll jump to something like mortal engines, because it's like, well this feels a little bit similar to that. You know, you've got this utopia in that case on wheels and we know yeah. the protagonist wants to destroy it. So yeah. there's always going to be a reason. But yes, I think your blurb yeah. would be far more powerful if you gave us that reason. And also, yeah. I think then you would strayed away from the, the kind of generic YA um, stuff that we could possibly fall into. Yeah, we don't want that. 
Uh, a little bit at sea, says Hannah. Oh, we're still doing the nautical jokes, are we? Oh, good. That's nice. Lex is going to... If you can read it, it's like three points. Sorry, it gets so small. Thing is, guys, in the genius room, if you've got a slightly longer comment, just put it into two sections, please. Otherwise, it will get um, reduced in, uh, to kind of pointless size. Um, but there's Lex's comment there. And, uh, really, really positive. So you, sh you should be very pleased with that, James. Let's see what um, RC says, the collective known as RC. Yep, uh, very enjoyable. Uh, I think, like most people have said, it's intriguing. It, you want to know what's happening. Uh, it flows quite well, you know. Uh, and it is. You would turn the page. You would look. To, you know, this is something I would read and turn the page and to see where it's going. And hopefully, it'd stay at the same pace. And I like the dialogue because we get a lot of information, but it's quite impactive. Uh, as it's told, uh, and it's quite pacey. But yeah, I liked wow. it. You know, from wow. from start to uh, end, I thought, well, yeah, could, I could have listened to a little bit more of it to just to see oh, that's what nice. the next adventure was. That's I mean, very, the, very the nice. The writing yeah. was very competent and really polished. I, I really yeah. enjoyed it. Yeah, and real, yeah. well yeah, read. Some by really Ellie. good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Gosh. although, you know, strictly speaking, you shouldn't be giving marks to the reading, that's the thing. Yeah, <laughs> um, well read by Ellie, but yeah. Yeah. But no, <clears> yeah, uh, really that's great. Okay, so already, that's that's fantastic. That's brilliant. So look, guys, we already do know that... that well, let's just look at this one again. Just one more submission to go now. It's really quite tense. you just got another point while I was talking, that last sentence, like three seconds long. You've got another point there, James. I don't know when it's going to stop. You've got 76. <laughs> that's 76. And Cole was previously in the lead with 65, and Cole was challenging, very closely challenging, uh, winner from two weeks ago, of course, who was Jane with you, it and everything good that I thought probably was going to go on and win the month, but now not so, not so. It's going to be James Beadle, or is it? Because we do have one more submission. The Stars Are Yours Now by James, read by Alison. If my chest were a cannon and my heart the hot lead ball, I'd still shoot. Stop it. Okay, that's a good reading, Biley, but really, that's, you can have too much of a good thing, right, guys? Okay, yeah, we have we have a final, final, final submission now. It's getting it's getting a little bit tense here. Final submission of the day is from Emma. Hello, Emma. I'm, you don't need to be apprehensive. You may be nervous, but not apprehensive. Uh, it's YA fantasy, <laughs> fantasy adventure, and it's called Fire Awakens. Fire Awakens, book one in the Earth Guardians series. Here's Emma's blurb. Until now, Chioni, I'm going to say Chioni, I think that's probably right, but correct me if I'm wrong, please, Emma, because I know you're live with us on YouTube, which is great. Chioni has lived a comfortable and predictable life, carrying her duties lightly, unaware of her incredible innate power. Yesterday, everything changed. Framed for the murder of her mentor, she's fleeing for her life, pursued by the wrath of Egypt. These are troubled times. The pharaoh's rule is waning and new forces are emerging. She only must keep her power safe from those who would abuse it. A power that has the potential to save or destroy Earth itself. And I'll tell you, everybody, I'll tell everybody about our author Emily. Following nearly 20 years working in corporate communications, 
Emma tried to make a living by writing personalised children's books, which nourished her soul, but not her bank balance. Sorry about that, Emma. Um, her current job combines crisis management. You must be working so hard at the moment every day, new crisis. Oh, lots of opportunity there. Um, emergency first aid and herding cats as she works in a primary school, which is kind of crisis management, right? Uh, when she is not looking after her own children and Roland, a very naughty Labrador puppy, Emma likes to write. And hopefully Emma will also like to listen to this reading from Beverly. Fire Awakens, book one in the Earth Guardian series, by Emma C., read by Bev. Chapter one, Escape. Hunkering down in the mud, amongst towering papyrus, eyes wide, ears pricked, she hardly dares breathe. The papery stalks and swaying starburst flowers above her head will betray her slightest movement. She can smell her own fear, pungent and sour. She had hurried to the river through the gloaming, hoping to find a fisherman to take her towards the delta, before she was missed, before news of the murder had reached the river bank. She could pose as his daughter, she had reasoned. The river was always crowded with small fishing boats, but it had been deserted. As the night thickened and hardened, the people of Memphis, fishermen and noblemen, had gone to their homes, afraid of the darkness that had arrived in the middle of the day and of what it might portend. Squirming further into the bank, she wraps her cloak tighter against an unfamiliar chill. She tries to stay alert, to listen for the slither of a crocodile tail on mud or the stir of a hippo in water. Finally, though, adrenaline seeps away and she loses the battle to stay awake. She sleeps until the unbroken dawn. She awakes with a start to voices further down the river. Stiff and cold, she remembers a decision taken before sleep won and stretches, grabs her pack, slips out of the reeds and saunters boldly back along the path. What choice does she have but to brazen it out? A little downstream, the crew of one of the huge wooden barges that transport grain is preparing to depart for the coastal trading ports. She joins the line of people bringing sacks of grain and other merchandise aboard. No one seems to take much notice of her. Her gamble might be working. The morning is chill and eerie. There has been no sunrise, no birdsong fills the air, and the calls of the crew are subdued in the semi-darkness. The usual riverside banter and bustle is absent. Nevertheless, the captain of the boat will sail as planned. The strange cloud and falling dust are unnerving, but the river is calm and unchanged, flowing steadily north as always. The captain stops her as she reaches his barge, her head bowed and her eyes on the ground. What is your business? he asks sharply. She has had little sleep, hasn't washed, and her head is covered in the coarse linen cloth she stole from her servant. Nevertheless, she sees the captain's eyes widen with surprise as she lifts her head to answer, and knows her rushed attempt at a disguise has failed. Armored eyes, high cheekbones, and the traces of the previous day's makeup all betray her high birth. She lifts her chin, although inside she shrinks under the captain's scrutiny. I need to travel to Wajwa, 
Can you give me passage on your barge? I'm a gold trader and have gold and gems to sell. Her voice wobbles and fades away. The captain raises his eyebrows, calling her a liar without saying a word. But as he looks down at her, his gaze softens. Perhaps he sees his own daughters. Perhaps he too likes a gamble. Perhaps it's simply that money talks. Payment will be one debon. You may use some of your gems to pay for your passage, food and drink. He speaks brusquely. She reaches inside her pack to hunt for her turquoise collar. She can use stones from this to pay for her journey. Not here, you foolish girl. There are eyes and ears everywhere. We will sort payment on board. I'll throw you to the crocodiles if you cannot pay. But I would think of a better story than a gold trader if you don't want to be robbed before the morning is out, he adds softly. The captain's right. Although the river is far, far quieter than normal, there is still a scraping of the hawkers, traders and thieves found everywhere travellers gather. She catches the eye of a man sitting on the ground nearby, looking up at her, his expression sly and calculating. She hurries aboard, feeling his eyes follow her. So they definitely like the crocodiles, Emma. Oh, you got a good croc reaction there. They're still talking about crocodiles. Um, Matt says, was it? no, Matt says, yeah, crocodiles and stories, always a good thing. And Johnny says, yeah, they keep it snappy. Thank you very much for that. Um, this is okay, it needs a bit of a shake, says Johnny. Much uh, use of infinitive form of verb, says Galadriel. I find this distancing. We better if we're inside the protagonist's head. Rather, yeah, I, I, I so agree with that. Um, and I love authorial voice, kind of the same thing. Vagabond says, I think the trouble with this is I didn't have a strong reaction either way, and that Vagabond was our reader on that. Okay. Not good, not bad. And these get motoring, says Johnny and Pamela Joe. Really like this. Egypt was usually a real hook for the YA, YA age group, and that's true. There have been some big successes in that area. And Johnny says, I'm here all week. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. But uh, unfortunately, Bob and Carol are only here for the next minute or two, so let's hear what they've got to say. <laughs> We're going to be eaten by cannibals. Um, <laughs> or crocodiles, take a pick. Oh, oh crocodiles! crocodiles the crocodiles got to mention quite a bit there. The fisherman came into it. But no, it didn't Didn't really do a lot for me. I was waiting for something to to raise it game. It seemed to be on a level playing field. It, you know, this is somebody that's wanting to escape. I didn't get the desperation or the fear. It seemed just like a... Yeah, a, in the park. a normal sort of path. I'm waiting for the peaks and the troughs or something to create fear or give the writer a bit of a shock for a minute or a little bit of fear. You know, she's surrounded by crocodiles, etc. Um, some great descriptives. Uh, I really like those. But for me, I was waiting for something to happen and it, it didn't happen yet. Uh, and I was waiting for something I, I'd more. I'd read on though. I'd read on, you know. I, because of its setting. Yeah, because of its setting, yeah. Egypt horse is a, a pull for me. But um, yeah, because of its setting. But I thought the writing was quite good. You know, there's definitely a promise there. Yeah, Michelle enjoyed it. Um, Hannah says, mm -hmm. I agree with this, Hannah. I don't think it will attract a YA reader. I want to talk about that in a moment. No, yeah. Um, Matt says, a lot of authorial voice distancing me from the characters. It wasn't the fault of the Crocs. Andy. Um, I think the good points are, I think props for a more kind of original YA setting, putting it in in Egypt, being chased by the pharaoh. 
that being said, well, not, and, you know, being chased by the pharaoh, protagonist mm. in reeds by a riverbank, posing as his daughter and high birth. There's obviously shades of the beginning of the Moses story there. And I kind of yeah. like that. And again, like with the with the, the chat room's response, once you bring up crocodiles and hippos, again, we're excited, aren't we? You know, yeah. because we're in, this, in the place of Egypt, you know, possibly yeah. being attacked by a hippo, which just isn't yeah. going to happen to me in Hove tonight. So mm. with that in mind, you know, I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm interested. Um, it, uh, there's a little bit, it, it reminds me, there's a way book called Orphan Monster Spy. And I did wonder whether you'd read that because there's a similar setup of a little girl on the run really early in the book. But I, I have to say, I agree with what's been said before, that there's something missing. And I did feel that distanced from your, mm. from your protagonist. Mm. In that book, um, without giving too much away, you know, the little girl's mum is, is murdered within the first five minutes. So, and, and there's a real pace to it as well. Yeah. So straight away, you're like, well, yeah, I'm really absolutely. with you. I think absolutely. you need something like that to, to really put us there with your, with your yeah. central character. I mean, you're doing really good with your showing. I think, I think for actually most of the submissions tonight, maybe barring the previous one, uh, on the on the Latopia, we did this thing. Well, I didn't do this thing uh, about a show versus tell. Oh, very and good. And I think that there's was, a yeah. lot there yeah. that yeah. you could that you could learn yeah. from, or just you know, get some get some uh, pointers on. Um, yeah. But but yeah, I, I thought it was it was okay. I think it had I think it had potential. Okay, got potential. I th I thought it was very lyrical writing. I like that. I'm not sure it's the right quite the right voice for um the the Why? YA. Yeah, that's the thing that bothered me. Well, can I just quickly say it's blue, Emma? Have you noticed that it was blue? You did that on purpose, did you? It's a blue submission. The type you used was blue, and um, that that immediately says crazy person. Because uh, <laughs> it does. Because we get we get all kinds of strange submissions, not just blue. No, no, possibly, yes. <laughs> well, just what I said, crazy person. And um, the thing is, uh, you, you don't you don't send that message. Just make it make it nice, a bit conservative, a bit reserved, and and presentation. It looks make it look professional. Um, picking things out in colour, I just wouldn't do it. Actually, I, I wouldn't do it. Uh, other people might have different views on that, but I just think you know, play it safe, really. Um, the thing that I'm thinking about here is. You, what you? I was thinking, would you talk like this to to you know your typical reader? You probably wouldn't. I've said this before tonight, and I thought about two authors, one of whom you you may have heard of, the, the other you may not have done. And the first one is E. Nesbit. All right, so just just reading E. Nesbit to you know our children when they were younger was not it a fascinating experience for me because they just you know here is a victorian lady for heaven's sake victorian times somebody you know 100 plus years ago who can still communicate directly with today's young person because she, uh, her voice is just there and it's just so interesting you know and just try doing that get beg borrow a steal you know a kid of, of the right age and just uh, force them to sit down and read the mean esbit for 10 15 minutes and just watch their reactions and there's another one lucy boston lm boston who um who wrote a whole series uh, about about a house called green now the uh, children of green now and all the rest of it. and again same thing going on there a woman really from the first part of the 20th century uh you would expect to be kind of stilted in expression and in and you know long sentences are convoluted very slow pace and so but not at all you know and 
again, just watching the reaction of, of, of the YA readers and how they instantly almost get hypnotised sometimes with, with the voice. It's just so interesting. And once you see that, see that happening, you can see, well, how can I do that? How can I emulate it? What sort of tricks can, can I pull off there? And you got a 55. You got a 55. Nothing to be ashamed of at all. Congratulations, Emma. But I think everybody knows what the situation is now. Yeah, look at that. Greens all the way through James. This this means two things for you. First of all, it means... Yes, you're a showman. Well, because we've had, what, five shows? No, four, four shows. We started a bit late, late this month. We have four shows the month. It also means, James that you have jumped straight into the number one position for the whole month. Congratulations, mate. Oh, yes. Congratulations, you've done it. Well done. I'm very pleased. As you can see, the blues and twos, I think there's a police car outside at the moment waiting to... It's either waiting for Bob and Carol or it's possibly waiting for me. I don't know if I've said something to a family grammar police today. It's quite possible. If you don't see me again next Sunday, you know what's happened. But if you do, well, please do join us next Sunday. It won't be Bob and Carol and Andy, for many thanks to whom, but it will be two more amazing guests. See you next week. Hit it! That's what I'm talking about. Wait! Okay, now. From the beginning. Hit it, boys. All young men with suits and ties Just sitting in the crowd smoking big cigars I hope you're ready for what's coming now I'm the one, I'm the lady that would bring you down There's a drunk on the corner where the big boys play Where the whiskey's running like the river But they all never come for the booze and bass I'm the one, I'm the lady that'll rock this place Big boss play.